Welcome to another episode of Cal Show Unplugged. Um, again, back into the transfer business. A lot of big deals uh, happening around Europe. Um, obviously, some stuff we talked about last week has now come into fruition, and we have confirmation on some of the deals that we discussed um, last week. But I, well, I'm going to start off with something that um, we haven't really discussed, um, at least re- not, not on the show, um, something from a few weeks ago. Uh, regarding Kylian Mbappe, um, so I think we're just gonna we're gonna talk about that whole situation because we've never we didn't really get a chance to discuss it yet, um, and sort of the spin on it. And obviously, uh, uh, Kylian Mbappe signs this huge contract. Uh, I don't know a month ago, everyone's expecting him to go to Real Madrid like they did last year. Instead, he signs this three-year deal with. Um, with with uh, PSG to give him stupid money, 150 million on a three-year deal. He's going to be making 50 million a year. Um, he also will have some um, uh, so, some uh, um, over overseeing of management decisions. Not to say that he's going to be able to pick uh, the choices, but he'll have some sort of not not power, but but he's going to have. Uh, What's the word here? He's gonna have. He's gonna have uh, uh, some. He's gonna be able to have input on on personnel decisions as well as that, and as well as getting you know the 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 bag, which is again big, big contract, one of the most expensive contracts we've ever seen. Um, and the perception of this is, which I don't agree with. We all know that PSG are choke artists in the Champions League. They went to the the final, obviously, in 2020 against Bayern. Actually, outplayed Bayern in that game, um, but for the most part, they've come up short. Not just this season, not just in recent memory, but historically, when they had Zlatan and Cavani and all those guys as well. So this is not a team that particularly does well in European competitions. And you could argue there's been situations where they've had unfortunate, you know, draws in in the. Um, in the Champions League, but not really an excuse for floundering the way they have with, obviously, because last year, obviously, um, Real Madrid got the most difficult possible uh, matchups on the way to the final and ended up winning it. But so PSG has always been a team that, that kind of struggles. Um, but the, the perception about this is that this is a money move. This is this is playing for money. This isn't this isn't any of the S. And I, I vehemently disagree with that. You have to look at the, the th- three main points here. Number one, the kid was born in Paris. He may not have grown up a PSG fan, but he's playing in his city. You know, regardless of, of how much you rate the French league, and, it, it, you know, it's not the most difficult. Um, one day I'll give everyone my top eight leagues in the world. Um, there are some leagues that are not talked about as much that I rate higher than the French league. Um but at the same time, he's in his home city. He's he's done. He's had historical landmarks there, and in addition to that, you look at the, the way this is this has kind of transpired. His last game, remember, was against Real Madrid, where Benzema scored two goals in a minute. And when you're gonna leave a situation that's that's catered to you, you don't want to leave it on those terms. Because it would be it would be an embarrassment an embarrassment as far as just the general way that that ended, 
And I'm not saying he's just going to sign for, for this deal and take one year and then, and then leave. But he, he does, he wants to leave it on his terms. He does, I believe has the motivation to, to get PSG over the line and they have the team to do it. Um, I think in the general sense, PSG is a better team than Real Madrid. So his, his alternative while has, has that winning mentality and tradition of winning doesn't have the, the, the overall squad that PSG have. And, and they're going to continue to upgrade and become stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, so there's, there's that side of it. And then there's the other side. People are making too much <clears throat> out of this thing, how he's going to have power in, in management decisions. It's not, he's not the only athlete that has power in management decisions. And he's not, he's not going to be the last one who has power in these sort of situations. LeBron James has had power in those situations for, for many years. Pretty much every team he's been, been on, he's had input in, in certain decisions. Not to say that his decision overrides everything, but it's very influential in the moves his teams tend to make. Um, and I, I have no issue with that to me. I mean, we, this isn't a basketball show, but I think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever live. So if, if someone on in that sport, regardless of who you think he's one of the greats, so you look at what he's done in that sport ha, ha, and he has that sort of power. There's other athletes in the game that has power. You think Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't have some say, or at least in the peak of it had some say of, of the teams that uh, the, you know, the decisions that they made, you think Messi doesn't have some influence over some of the decisions made at Barcelona? Maybe not to the same extent, but so this thing about him having some sort of power in in terms of management decisions, he's not the first and he's not the last person to do it. And um, he's, do he's done so well there. He's going to win there. He's going to continue to win there. And the teams are going to get better and better. And maybe eventually they'll get over this hump of being, you know, perennially choke artists in the uh, – in, in the Champions League, then you, you look even further. They have a good sporting director coming in. He's gonna uh, he's he's making a good choice for manager. They're gonna build this team. I think Messi's gonna be back and and bombing next year after that uh, after an unfortunate season last year. And I think all the pieces are gonna come together and they're gonna be absolutely outstanding with an opportunity to right the wrongs of last season. Because Mbappe is just not gonna walk away with this and. I think it's always a risk making a big move prior to the World Cup. And this, this uh, notion, and the last thing I'll say about this, is this notion that uh, Mbappe is playing just for money is ridiculous. If you see him play, you see the level of joy he's playing, um, obviously he doesn't play for money. And <laughs> you can say whatever you want about this, but he could get similar type of money Maybe not to this extent, but he could get big money everywhere. And this is this is about righting the wrongs of last year, continuing his legacy, and helping PSG get it over the line. Um. So, anyway, so so, what are your thoughts on on all of this and uh and this this whole situation? I mean, I when I originally everybody was like saying, "Oh, he's gonna finally sign for Real Madrid," but then next thing you know, before the Champions League final, he recommits signing this insane contract for PSG. Obviously, I a lot of people were shocked by it, but there's people like us who have been around the block a couple times and know that this it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities. 
especially since you brought up a couple good points that he grew up in Paris, may not have played for brought brought up to PSG, but he grew up in the area and he loves where he's at. And then you also look at like his performance, like he wants to take the take PSG over that Champions League final finish line and lift that title up. So, and you, and he, as you said, you, and I actually have been really thought about the one point you just made that when you look at his face, he does, you're right. He does actually look like he's enjoying himself, which if you're a footballer, some people just go to different clubs for the money while people like Kylian Mbappe and some other, a lot of other players out there won't leave for money. They'll stay for the long haul. And so they think the prod their project at that particular club is finished. And it shows that he's not finished with PSG yet. He is gold before he probably wants to leave PSG would probably be getting them that Champions League trophy. And I mean, to me, obviously the money's insane, but it's just like there's time and time again, we've seen stuff like this happen before. So I mean, to the people who were shocked by this, I'm surprised at you. But, I mean, it, it was just crazy how it went from, like, I think it was, like, a two-week turnaround, too, I well, think. Well, last year, last year, Real Madrid bet, uh, sorry, bid $179 million for him. It was rejected. And then a few weeks ago, prior to him signing the deal, it was a thing where they he said that, it was going to be Real Madrid or PSG, and he needed time to evaluate his options before deciding. And then that's when the deal came off. I, I wouldn't say uh, shocked. Uh, I wasn't shocked. Um, but had he picked Real Madrid, I wouldn't have been surprised. So I think it was like a 50-50 chance either way with kind of what was going on. I just I'm – I'm trying to get in his head thinking about that game against Real Madrid – and even if you, he one day wants to play for Real Madrid or play for somebody else, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that to be my last, that last game. And I just have a feeling next year Leo Messi is going to be, he's going to be roaring. He wants to, he's going to, he wants to, he wants to go into this World Cup in good form. I think Messi is going to, and Messi had a great season. Here's the funny thing. So, so you know the, I didn't mean to go on this because I, I wasn't expecting it, but. But you know this, how everyone's been, and I've been very confident. I think Ronaldo's had an amazing season. But you know how everyone's saying how great um, uh, Ronaldo's season has been, right? Yep. And they talked about Messi's season. It was awful. Between the two of them, this last season, in, t- in, t- in terms of goal contributions, Mess- Ronaldo had 26, who had a great season, quote-unquote, and Messi had a horrible season at 25. So there's only one goal involvement in between their seasons last year. He still was the number one in assists and all this other stuff. So I think Messi's going to be at, at, I wouldn't say peak, but he'll be at a, at a much higher level next season, um, especially with the World Cup. And I think it will, because of that, I also Killian will want to stay. And he's, he's around Neymar, who's one of the best players I'll ever play with. Um, so there's lots of reasons to stay. I understand completely also leaving. Making that move, going to Real Madrid, and and creating a different legacy there. But at the same time, I get I get why he made the decision. I would say I was 
I wouldn't say surprised. I did. I did think he was going to stay though. I just had a feeling. Um, but you know, a lot of the stuff that that's happened, the perception is that, that he's leaving for money. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think based on what I've laid out, there's, there's countless reasons why he, he stayed. Um, and I think the money is part of it. You, just, you can't just escape that, but um, and maybe the, he couldn't have got that type of money elsewhere, but definitely in co- collectively speaking, I think um, this wasn't just about money. Um, you know, I think the, I think more than anything else, having some input in, in the, in the management probably had something to do with it. I think leaving this team after the ending that they had last year has something to do with it. And I think collectively you can, he is, he's a joyful player to watch. He, he, he's, he is a player that's constantly having fun on the pitch. Not to say that people who don't react that way aren't having fun, but he doesn't strike me as someone who would chase money. I don't, I don't consider players going to PSG chasing money. I consider players going to China chasing money or going to the MLS chasing money. I think there's, there's um, you could argue more so that Insigne left uh, Europe for money um, this, from Napoli. I think that's more of a money uh, grab than, than Mbappe. Mbappe's contract is, is way bigger and is insane. But I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that's the reason that why he left. Or Sorry, that's not the reason why he's staying. Yeah, I mean, but still, in general, it's like, we, like I said, he looks like he's having fun. And like I said, I just think he thought his project with PSG wasn't done yet. And obviously, you brought up the Real Madrid game. No one wants to go out like that with leaving the sour taste in the mouth and stuff, especially since you lost to the team that you were going to sign for. But, I mean, you're right. You just also brought up another good point. Having that little pull, whatever this, however small or big it may be, it, it could have driven that decision as well. But, I mean, I do hope that he does fit it when he – realizes his project is finished i hope that the fans will give him the like send off that he definitely deserves yeah i think it's he's got it's a three-year deal if he doesn't win the champions league in the next three years he's gone but i think he he wants to give it a real go um with this team um in the next couple of years to to do that if he makes the semifinal quarterfinal final and still doesn't do it um then he'll, he's probably off um, I don't know if the Real Madrid door is closed or not. I, I suspect it will always be open um, for a player of that quality, um, just given how they 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 do business. But I, I think, you know, if you look at the next three years, if he if he's able to do what he wants and he's able to to win the Champions League, but maybe it actually I think either way, I think in the next three years, um, he's likely to leave. Um, but he wants to see this thing out before. Anything else happens, and again, you can you can hate on the money all you want, but um, when you got 150 million on three year deal and sitting in front of you, it's hard to turn down. Even though even though he's not playing for money, um, it, I mean he's not going to turn something like that down. But that's not like I said before. It's, he's not. That's not the only reason I think he he made the decision that he did. All right. Um, well, it's confirmed. Uh, we talked about this last week, but let's just brush over uh, again. Um, Romelu Lukaku is back in town on a uh, 
alone, um, I think it's an eight million loan with, uh, uh, I think, is it just eight million or is it eight million plus bonuses? Do you do you know? I think it was like ten million plus like bonuses because that's what I saw from a bunch. Okay, of uh, roughly ten ten ish million um, for for the year. Um, According to reports, no no buy option, no obligation to buy, no mandatory buy. Um, so it is for the year. Obviously, Inter can can make a decision to to buy from Chelsea permanently if, if the year goes well. Um, but he's he's back at least for this season. Um, I know we talked about this last week, but but just um, now that it's confirmed, how do you feel? And and what do you um, what's your thought on on all this? Well. I obviously when it comes to the rest of the fans, I'm not speaking for myself. They'll have, he has to earn the respect back. But from my standpoint, I am happy he's back. He can provide that firepower, but I still do agree with the, what you did say last week. He has to become Robin. You need to focus this team around Lotaro Martinez because Lotaro as we discussed, is more than just a goal scorer. He is a facilitator. He can be defensive role. He plays a defensive role sometimes. So, I mean, he's the more versatile key piece that you really should be focusing the game around. Whereas Lukaku, if you're able to just give him the ball, let him score the goal. But in general, this needs to be a Martinez focused team so I mean but in regards to like how I'm feeling about it I am 100% ecstatic if he's able to somehow get back into the way he was before he went to Chelsea and he's able to like put in the work and get back to what he was I I'm more than over the hills for that yeah and he he will return to what he was because again this is why we can never put him in a top five conversation, but he is system based. You know, he needs that formation. He needs that system and he needs to play in team that plays his, his preferred system. Like I said, last week, Belgium plays that system. Inter plays that system. Chelsea does not. Chelsea's system is very different from Inter's and Zaghi's football is very different from Thomas Tuchel's. So that's, I'm not saying that's why it didn't work. I mean, it, it didn't work for a, a, a couple of reasons, but I, I think the system is going to, to allow them, uh, Lukaku, to return to himself. But I don't think we should be seduced into thinking that, that because he's, if he has a great season, that this makes him in that top five or that top ten necessarily. He's still within that system when he when performing there. It, it, you know, he, he's a great striker. In that regard, um, at least when he's in when he's in this a system like that, I'm not saying he's without it. He's a bad player, but he's not the, the same type of player um, that he was uh, when he's when he's not in a, a two striker formation. So, um, yeah. So I think I think it's going to work. I think he's going to score loads of goals. Um, but like we said last week, he's not the best player in this team. Um, probably not even the second best player in this team he might not be the third best player in this team so i i think the um you know the this this, this the serial fans that uh that overreact to everything will 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 jump on that but i think generally speaking this is this is just to help them 
them win. Um, and I think he can score. He could, he could score 50, 20 goals next season. Um, but then again, there's a possibility that he's, he's a lost cause and uh, that can't uh, bring him back. But I do suspect that he'll score uh, a good amount of goals um, in the next year. But I, again, I think the focus must be for Martinez. Lukaku will uh, contribute to that. But I think it, it needs to be understood by Inter and by Lukaku and by everybody that this is, Mar- this is a Martinez-led team. Um, this is his team, and they should not change that. They should play the same way they did last year in addition to having a, another an option that can maybe help get them over the line. Because it came down to um, last year with Martinez is not having a partner next to him that is, is – 100% reliable. Jekyll played well and contributed, and some of the other players that played next to him contributed, but not enough to uh, to an inter team that wanted to, to win the title again. Um, but I think with the addition, um, with uh, Lukaku next to him, two guys who are comfortable with each other, um, it is his, a Martinez team, but I think the, the two of them together have done incredible things, and I could I could see that continuing. What are your thoughts on that? I actually agree with everything you just said. I mean, long as Martinez is the core piece and Lukaku is there just to bang in the goals, I mean, I think we're on track for securing another Scudetto. Indeed. Um, There might be a few other teams that will have something to say about that as well. But um, another thing is – uh, and Zaghi just uh, signed a contract extension. Um, how do you feel about that? With my hands. <laughs> Sorry, dad joke. But anyway, yeah, um, I'm just excited for to see what else Zaghi is able to do with the club. Um, I think was, and so I mean, he did a great job with his first season with Inter. Obviously, the goal was the Scudetto, fell short. But finishing second is still a good accomplishment for him. Um, so I'm excited to see what hit the rest of his project is going to look like. And so welcome for the long haul, Inzaghi. Yeah, I, I think it was – he signed a deal last year and he just extended it by a couple of years. Um, no, but he had, he had a great season. Uh, he finished second, um, but he did win the Copa Italia. He did win a, a Mickey Mouse against, but it was against Juventus, so it it, it counts for nothing. But also beating Juventus uh, counts for something, though. You know what I mean? So I think he's 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 going to do a great job next year. I think uh, uh, this could be a Champions League dark horse team um, with the right signings and with the right things being built around it. And I think Anzagi uh, did, a, did took me by surprise last year. Um, but I think he's done, he's done a pretty remarkable job considering the circumstances and so on and so forth. Um, let's see. Uh, so, uh, it's, it sounds like, um, the new goalkeeper is expected to arrive, um, this, this week or soon. Um, I know we, we talked about this in January, um, but the prospect of, of the addition uh, of Onana, uh, how do you feel about, um, about um, him and, and how, how he can help uh, enter next season? Um, I, I'm trying to remember what I said, but I can't remember. Yeah, but, just 
to speak on what you said six months ago. Just speak of how you feel about it now. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm very excited to have Onana with um, the club. Obviously, this gives a great backup to Jacko. Has he could be a He's a goalkeeper. Did I not say that? And <laughs> damn it. I can't even remember what I said anymore. Damn. But anyway, Steve stay too on that one. But um, yeah, Onana is going to be a great backup goalkeeper to Handanovic. Um, he will definitely be utilized maybe as a starter in like the Champions League or in league or while he's still learning from Handanovic, watching what he does within the other sector. Um, so, I mean, just in general, this is definitely finally something that Inter have needed for a long time is a young up-and-coming striker who is looking to make his mark on the football world. And he has done a great job with Ajax and is going to look to hopefully when the time comes that Handanovic has to step down, he has learned enough to be able to take up the mantle and do it with poise and confidence, which sometimes with certain goalkeepers, you can see in their face that the confidence just isn't there. But obviously through growth and learning, the confidence and everything will come. Yeah, great argument. But I think you got you got to um, um... – I just think you got to flip around. I do not think he's going to be back up at any point. I think in Syria, certainly will be the starter. We, you, you and the Inter people have been asking for a goalkeeper ages. Now you got one on the free coming for Ajax, a well-oiled um, machine, someone who started for them for many years. Um, he, he's, he's, he's a guy that has made mistakes in the past, and I'm sure he'll learn quite a bit from Haldanovic and, and, and how he's been able to be quite good for, for, quite, for quite a long time. But I, I think, actually, Haldanovic will probably start in the Champions League, and Onana will, will take the reins in the, in the league. Um, I, I just don't see – Haldanovic has had a decent season last season, but, but not as consistent – um, as the year before or the year before, uh, he is on the back end. But in, in specific uh, in, uh, individual performances, he's been able to show what he can do at, a, at an extremely high level. So I think that um, he's not going to be phased out completely, which is why I think if, if, if Handanovic is just playing in the Champions League, um, I don't know what you think about this, but I, I, I think generally he's going to make less mistakes. I think... Actually, that is a good point because when you're playing both champions and the Lee itself, it's you tend to get tired of fatigue easily, which does lead to those mishaps. So I think you may be on to something. I do. I think that would be the best approach utilizing both uh, goalkeepers have one focus on the league while having the other focus on the Champions League. So that actually is a really good point. Most teams that have two goalkeepers that are good usually do something like that. Um, obviously, there's ones where has has a world world beater at goalkeeper and they do everything. But usually, if you just if you just if you got if you have a luxury at goalkeeper, 
you're you're, you're going to probably split over 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 the competitions. And I would guess um, Hondonimus also does the Copa Italia and stuff like that. I don't know what Nzagi was was going to do with this situation, but I, I I suspect that Onana will be the starting goalkeeper for for the league. Um, for at least the important games, and then um, Handanovic can get, I don't know, the bottom of the league, basically, and uh, Champions League uh, slash Copa Italia. That's my guess. I mean, if it goes well, Handanovic could still get, I don't know, 20 appearances or something. Um, so I, I, th- I think it's a, it's a, it's a good uh, deal of business because uh, I, I think Handanovic extended his contract one more year meaning I think this is probably his last year, um, at least at Inter. So uh, I think that having, having both of them um, available, I think, is going to be something um, uh, interesting, at least to deal with next season. Um, obviously, you're going to have to deal with some of the other teams that are going to be gunning for the throne. Um, but uh, I think getting a goalkeeper in that can, that can give you a solid game time uh, in the league is, is huge. Um, all right. Um, we know, uh, that Man United is in crisis. Um, they had a pretty horrific season despite Cristiano Ronaldo's, uh, uh, whatever it was, 24 goals or whatever, uh, um, it may be. Um, they've, they've gone through many managers, Ralph Mernick and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over last season, um, didn't make it out of the group stage. In the what did they did? Oh, they yeah, made other groups. There's the Champions League, but um, but went down to Atletico. Their their form in the league was bad. They managed to finish behind, um, I believe Spurs and Arsenal. Um, it's not great times right now, but there's a sense of hope coming back in with with obviously Aaron Ten Hag coming uh coming in um, from Ajax who. Last season made the uh, made the Champions League, won the group of the Champions League, made it to the round of sixteen, but but got beat by Benfica. Um, there's a lot of expectations, but there's this is a project that uh, that Eric Ten Hag should feel comfortable with. Um, he's he's gone through many rebuilds at Ajax, and this is this is a big job with a lot of expectations, with a lot of things, um, you know, a lot of pressure. Again, I think I think there's just just going to be an unrealistic expectation for Man United uh, this next season from their fans. Uh, but I think if they if he has the time to build this thing, I think they can they can start turning it around. Um, uh, but with Aaron Tunhag coming in, obviously, all the Ajax players in the world are going to be linked. Um, he already has um, Donny Van Der Beek, who's currently at Man United. Um, but the two names that seem to be high on the priority list for this uh, revolution um, of Man United, getting them back at least into the Champions League. You're looking at uh, Frankie de Jong, obviously Barcelona in, in, in mega crisis, um, who played under him at, um, at Ajax before going to Barcelona, and then Anthony, who is uh, highly uh, one of the most highly rated players on, on the team now. Those two signings seem to be the two that they're looking to st- start to uh, to build this team uh, at least early in the summer. What are your thoughts on um, on what the two of them could bring to Man United and, and whether or not they could um, get back to 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 at least con- not contending, but but being a, a Champions League team again? Well, uh, 
while I did take a gander at their work earlier, and I was looking at how great these two are, especially when it comes to finishing goal chances. Like, there are some... I've noticed that there are a lot of good goals. Depend- when it comes to goal scoring, I should say, you have people who are better at those short, like, inside-the-box type of goals. Then you have people who are good from long ra- shooting those long-range missiles we're used to see- sometimes seeing. And then there's people like these two players that I've noticed are really good in both the short and long range goal scoring like with go ahead i was gonna say let's let's uh, let's break it down though um obviously i I love where you're going with this but what do you think what's a what's a quality that you from their work that you saw that each one brings to man united because i think actually they're very different type of players so i don't think we can just necessarily rope them together you know what i mean so take one at a time and, and just give me what you what you feel Based on what you've seen, uh, the an element that they bring to this Man United team that needs a hell of a lot of help. Well, I for Dejong, what I specifically noticed is that he is really meticulous, especially inside the box. Whereas Anthony is pretty much good from any position of goal scoring. So it depends on like what is needed at the time, like and where these players would line up um like say if one's outside the box and doesn't have a chance to like get the goal into the back of the net they can pass the ball to like Dijon who's more in better inside the box so you can have him firing for that short distance goal which is more of a calculated approach which I noticed that he tends to lean towards while Anthony if he does have that goal opening, he would has no issues firing that rocket into the back of the net. So, I mean, one in my Dijon, in my opinion, it would bring more of a calculated approach, whereas the other one could be versatile, such as if he can fire that long range goal, go for it. If he's surrounded by defenders and needs to get the ball away, he could pass it to a Dijon, who could finish the chance off, hopefully. So okay. I'm going to simplify this for you. This is this this is this is how I break it down. What what Dijon, what Frankie Dijon is is a midfielder that gives them control, meaning he is he can push the line up. He can he can he can get in the box. He's a great dribbler. Can can get into those dangerous spaces and be effective. Again. Frankie Dijon is not going to score 15 goals next season. So he's a midfielder that, that contributes in attacking and def- uh, not defensive, a little defensive, but not a lot in attacking areas, but also can hold the ball up. Also can, is, is good with the ball on his feet, can, can find open spaces for, for teammates. Um, so what I see from Frankie Dijon is a commander in the midfield, giving them a different element than they, that they have had at least in, in recent years. And what I see with Anthony is a, just a freak athlete. He's extremely athletic. He's quick. He's agile. He moves with the ball. Uh, and when it's at his feet and he's, he's pushing, he's just, it's, it's somebody hard to control. And he's got an absolute bomb of a, of a, of a strike that he can hit a lot of the times uh, on that wing. Cutting in, cutting inside, and then, and then sending, um, 
usually sending the the um the um the the defender to the shops and sending the the ball into the back of the net. So what I see from this is is a, a midfielder that can give them consistency, hold the ball up and do can do multiple things in the areas. And then you have on 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 the side or the wing you bring in Anthony who ha- Anthony who has just an amazing level of athleticism um, that that is that can basically help the attack. Uh, Rashford's been been just not what he was supposed to be. He's not been good lately. Um, as much as a great humanitarian that he is and a, an amazing person, his performances for Man United have not been good. So you you have you have Anthony coming in, uh, basically for his position on on one side, and then on the other side you have Jaden Sancho with probably Cristiano Ronaldo in the front, and I think. Just that attacking constellation gives Man United a, a, a lot of options, at least in that in, in that sense. Yeah, that definitely is so much more simpler. Why do I complicate yeah. things? No, no, no. I was, I, I, it wasn't that you were. Everything you were saying was true, but it was just sort of paneled into goal scoring. So I just, I just wanted to simplify it. I know, I know you don't watch a lot of Eredivisie. Uh, that I do. So you haven't seen a lot of them. Um, but I just wanted to kind of show you that that's kind of the, uh, what I meant. You know what yeah, I mean? That makes sense. As, so as the signings as a whole, the, the two of them obviously coming into this main United team. Um, do you think I, this, I don't I know I'm going to ask it, but do you think those two types of signings that the, the, the coach is familiar with will help them, not be terrible. And again, that's, that's really harsh. Um, but it, it's just kind of where they are right now, which is crazy. You've never known uh, a Man United uh, like me and Ryan have known a Man United. So, so the Man United that you have seen, you have, I don't believe they've won the league one time since, since you've been involved in the sport and they've never been, uh, other than that year, Mourinho had them in second. They've never been a serious contender. When me and Ryan grew uh, grew up watching, Man United was the team. They were ruthless. They made Champions League finals. They won everything. They uh, they effectively uh, ruined the lives of all the rest of the uh, Premier League fans in the Premiership. So, so this is a team that used to have incredible heights, and now they've been they've been trying to climb and climb and climb, and 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 get find a pathway to close the gap and to be competitive in a European sense in the, uh, in the, um, and also in the league. Do you think this, these types of signings send the right message of them trying to go back to at least some version of what they were at some point? I think it could help, especially since um, Eric has had um, like, um, come on words. (laughs) Has they worked with him in the past? Um, they were able that should provide some consistency, knowing that they have worked well together. But sometimes when you're a manager and you have players that you aren't you as familiar with, it, it does become a little bit difficult, or ones that you're not used to like dealing with. So I mean, having somebody you've already worked with, kind of you know what to expect from them, and it would provide that consistency. So I think that some of these signings, obviously it's going to be hard to catch up to the likes of Man City and Liverpool. Oh, that's not fucking happening. <laughs> yeah, well, that ain't freaking happening, but 
I still think they could. It will help them make a push in the Champions League, and hopefully do a little bit better within the league as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm afraid for my, for Man United fans, it's 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 going to take a lot, and it's going to be a process because I mean, I don't need to uh, need to bring up skeletons, but but look at what Antonio Conte is doing at Spurs. They look. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to win the league. But I could see them finishing third if Chelsea doesn't get what they want. So it's the thing is it's gonna get it's gonna get harder and harder and harder for them to climb. But they just gotta do it one step at a time. I would not recommend signing the entire IX squad um, because uh, I was gonna say the the IX manager's name, but I forgot. I don't even oh, I forgot who it is. Um, he was at, at Bruges last year. He's gonna want to keep some of his pieces. Obviously, a lot of pieces are getting sold off, but. Um, but he's going to want to keep some of it together and he's not going to let Eric Ten Hag just come in there and take all of his favorite players. So he's going to have to spread his wings and look at, at some other uh, type of players. Um, somebody uh, that, that can help them even further. But it, like you said, I think it's going to, it's going to take, it's going to take something big for them to close the gap with them and, and the rest. But I think even if they could finish fifth next season, I think that would be progress. And I think people need to, to kind of look at it from that vantage point, fifth place, then you go for fourth place. Kind of like Roma last year. We wanted to get back into the Europa League. We did it. Now we want the Champions League. That, that's kind of got to be a process. This is a project. Uh, even though they have a lot of money, and they're, there's, they're, they're gonna, he's going to have to go in some other direction. So it can't just be the IX players only. Um, but I, I suspect that he'll he'll have a plan, and he's rebuilt teams before. This is a whole different avenue and a different level level of pressure. Um, but I mean, it doesn't work for everyone. But he did work under Pep Guardiola before, so maybe he took a couple nuggets, and he's done really well in the in the jobs that he has had up to this point. Um, and I hope he can start turning around because I think it'd be better for everyone if Man United are good again. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes, and obviously we'll see what happens in the future. But, but I, I think they, they got the right idea going for them. All right. Um, we talked about this last week, uh, but Sadio Mane officially uh, announced today. Um, obviously, uh, I think the, the deal is like $42 million, pretty cheap. I think we're not going to talk about Mane. He, he was ama- he's amazing, um, and he's going to be absolutely incredible for this Bayern team. Um, going forward, and, and not just, I think he's just going to be an absolute monster for for the Bundesliga Giants. Um, but also, uh, th- last week, um, speaking of IX, speaking of selling off assets, um, Brian Vanderbirch um, sliding over to to Bayern Munich. Um, you've seen a little bit of his work. Um, with an already loaded team, with the depth that we talked about last week, with some of the issues that they had for why they couldn't win the Champions League, with a signing like this, do you, do you feel um, that this, this helps them in a, in a way? And uh, what, what do you think they can expect from him next season? I mean, obviously this does help. It continues to build the depth that we're already used to seeing from a Bayern side. Um, he what we could really expect from this player is a lot of speed agility. Um, He's really good at finishing. He's really good at assisting where it's needed, but he's, I do believe he is a striker, correct? Uh, Midfielder. 
Okay, so I mean, Talk I do. So I mean, when he's assisting, he don't. He's able to get the ball on the count on the counterattacks from the defense, and is able to then look at each piece of the puzzle on the field, just seeing where what openings he has available and being able to facilitate to the best available option. So he's very clinical and meticulous in that aspect. So, I mean, you already have a lot of people on the, on the Bayern squad who are also known for that, but this just adds to the ferocity that we're already used to seeing from them. So, I mean, this is definitely another great depth piece, especially when injuries in the later in the season occurs and, of course, dealing with the Champions League so you can keep those players fresh. But, I mean, this is just another great addition to the team. Yeah. Um, no, I, no I definitely. I think what I like about this deal, obviously, it was so cheap because Bayern, like Savages, wait until the last year of players' deals and get them for cheap. I mean, I wish other teams had more patience like this because you don't see very many of the top teams wait like this on their players. Because if you look at the, I mean, I think Bayerns are the smoothest operators of the entire transfer market on a regular basis. They know what they're doing. They, they know what they're after and, and they're fixing their problems. Um, yeah, I, I think Ryan Vanderbilt is, is a top quality player. Uh, what I see from him is he's not a midfielder that's going to give you a lot of goals or assist necessarily. He's, he can, he's a capable goal scorer and he's a great passer. But the thing I see from this team is his footwork is insane. His ball control, the way he, he, he's able to, to keep, keep possession in different areas. He's, he's a risky type of player. He can be a little inconsistent, but the kid is only 20 years old. And, the, you know, the coast of Europe was after him. And Bayern obviously get the deal done here. And, and, but but the, the thing that I see from him is he's adding a dimension to the Bayern midfielder, midfielder they don't have right now. You look at what they have there, Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. Uh, Ryan Vanderbilt is very different from those from those two players, which gives them another uh, dimension here. Um, but mo- mostly, it's it's a player that can develop in Bavaria. Um, the Bavarians know how to to develop players, as we have seen it over and over and over again. Um, and I think he's only going to grow and all also be an incredibly uh, a dynamic player for them to to use this season and. And in so many different ways, and um, the development is going to be huge the next couple of seasons. He's young; he's he's got a lot to prove, and he's he's. I, I think he he fills out the the box for uh, for midfielder. I think he he checks almost all the boxes for especially a midfield that's growing and is only very young in his career. And you know who you're, you know who he reminds me of actually. Who. <laughs> A young Paul Pogba, not not the Paul Pogba that goes back and forth between two teams, but just in terms of the style of play, like Pogba at Juventus, Pogba at France, that type of player, but but obviously younger. And I, I think if he could develop into something like that, I think this Bayern team will just. Uh, I, they, I think the sky's the limit. They they've signed Sane. Hold on, I, oh man, now you now you made me do it, <laughs> Mane. They have Mane. Now you have Grander Vert, and they also, again, they're just taking everything from Maya. All their toys. They took uh, Mariuzzi, uh, who's a right back, 
um, who, to, to go opposite of Alfonso Davies um, for free. Um, so they've signed all those three players. It's what is it? It's it's June 22nd and they've already signed three players that have already come into the squad and fix a lot of their issues. So I think this Bayern team is going to be so sick next season. And I think bringing in a player like this, uh, truly incredible. Speaking of teams that want to knock down the, the reign of terror from Bayern Munich, uh, speaking of another player from Ajax, they're going to lose. They're just losing everybody. Um, Sebastian Haller is expected to make his move to Dortmund. Uh, 40, 40 million plus add-ons. Um, uh, and uh, I think he's already agreed on personal terms and the deal is basically done. Um, I arrived a year and a half ago. This last season, he had 35 goals. And there was, at one point, he was the highest goal scorer in the Champions League. Um, a man mountain of a, of a player returning to the Bundesliga for uh for Dortmund uh what what are your thoughts on on what what he can provide for a Dortmund team that that just lost Erling Holland well I was gonna say based on what you just said like 35 goals last season it's it's a huge accomplishment for a striker um I mean losing a key piece such as Erling Holland it's hard to find somebody who would find the back of the net that has frequently has seeded but bringing in Holler who has been a proven goal scorer time and time again is definitely a great addition I mean no matter what position he's in on the pitch he's able to find the back of the net with pure precision he's able to read the game with clarity knowing where to be for the facilitating chance and, I mean, he's just – I mean, I just told you this in the message when I was watching the video earlier. I'm like, Haller is a baller because, I mean, just his footwork is pure – it's like poetry emotion. He's a man mountain. He's big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but still, like, you can be big and still dance. Trust me, take it from me. No, I mean that as a compliment. Imagine, like, just think about about it this way. Imagine having to D him up in the box if you're a five, a five foot eight defender. You know, you, you can imagine how difficult controlling a player. It's not just that he's big; he's he's agile, meaning he's he doesn't have the thickness of a of a ta- a big player like Zlatan or or or, um, or Lukaku or something like that. This is a guy that's skinny, big. But also was very agile, and I, I just think getting him, trying to control a player like that in the area is bound to be difficult. Yeah, I mean, but in general, this is definitely a great signing, especially since they did lose Erling Holland. Um, so you can expect the at least a good, solid goal scorer. Which I there are a couple other options with Dortmund, but this is definitely the key piece that needed to fill the void. It's especially with the Erling Holland exit. Yeah, I think eighteen on minimum next season. Do you agree with that? That's fair. I think at least eighteen because when he was at Frankfurt uh, before he went to West Ham, where they basically had a Ferrari, but they gave the keys to a five-year-old. <laughs> I saw that comment on um, on Facebook earlier. I just had to steal it. 
Um, because West Ham, he had scored seven goals, and then midway through the, his second season, seven goals. Um, but they they weren't using him properly. They didn't know how to 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 get his best ability out of that situation. Um, they the, they just didn't put him in, in position to be successful. Um, but at, at at Frankfurt, the two years he was there was sick. Um, I think he had 13 his first season. He had 18 or 22 his second season. Beat uh, Bayern Munich in, in, in uh, the German Cup final. Uh, won a trophy with them. Um, so I think he, he's just going to add something. Again, I don't think Dortmund needs they, – they can't stop here. They have to They have to get – you know, they have more to do, um, especially considering looking what Bayern just added. Um, but I think it gives them a, a leg up in terms of – they're going to be in a better position now to win than with Holland. And the reason I say that is because Dortmund is a team by nature that does not feel through superstar. And I'm not saying Haller isn't a great player. He, I think he's fantastic. But with, with Erling Holland, it was like a team led by a superstar. I think this Dortmund team next year will play more as a team, and they just happen to have a superstar up top scoring goals. But I don't think it's, it's a superstar-based team with with this version of it with uh with Sebastian Haller because given the that this is going to be more of a collective thing rather than Erling Holland is is a superstar driven type of player so when you're in a situation like he was with Dortmund it just became a superstar team surrounded um around Erling Holland but this is going to be totally different i think this he'll fit Dortmund perfectly all right um i talked about this um last week um uh, Real Madrid uh, signed um, Aurelian to Makini. I'm, I'm almost certain that was wrong. Um, from Monaco, uh, 100 million um, dropped um, to, to sign the, the very talented attacking midfielder to an already loaded uh, Real that just won the Champions League. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, on the the acquisition? It was. It's definitely going to provide another great. Obviously. Real Madrid are stacked from top to bottom, but obviously some of their key pieces are aging and are on their pretty much their last legs, literally. But so bringing in a player such as I'm not even going to say his name because I'm going to butcher it. So, I mean, bringing in a player such as him is going to be able to like provide some of that void that when some of these older players make their exit he's also going to be able to provide fresh legs when it's needed whether it's being a on and off again starter along with being able to be a substitution if needed um he is a really great attacking minded individual he's able to help with facilitating or and he's also able to find the back of the net. I mean, I've seen the, some of this, the goals that he's had. Some of them were insane from outside the box. And in general, this is definitely another good piece for Real Madrid, especially since some of these other players are going to be on their way out in the next several seasons. Yeah. So you look at the midfield now. Kamavinga, the exception of Kamavinga, who's fucking fabulous, um, who's, I think, 21, 22, something like that. Um, the other midfielders that they have in that area are Casemiro. I think Casemiro's got some time left. I, I think he's early 30s. And then you look at uh, Tony Cruz, who's like 33, 34. Then you look at uh, Luka Modric, who's turning 37 this year. 
it's a lot of age um, in a team that uh, just won the Champions League, and I think they didn't couldn't get Mbappe. They they okay, fine. We'll just we'll just drop a hundred million on this guy. He's been at Monaco, very productive for several seasons. He's very explosive. He's a uh, you know he he's just he's just got he's so versatile and can do so many different things. And I think him being in those situations with with Madrid next season, I think he'll he'll be a huge signing. In addition to what they already have, as of as you know, I said, very a very loaded team. They're not the best team in the world, um, in terms of what they ha- what their squad p- possesses, but um, they have they have some difference makers. And I think adding a young player of his age uh, just just gives them another dimension that they can they can go with. Um, all right, uh, a few more things, and then we're done here. Um, here, okay, so question: uh, This Paulo Dybala thing with Inter has been ta- has been going on for like uh, many many weeks, and uh, uh, now uh, it's not it's not a priority. And now AC Milan are interested, and they're going to put in an offer for Dybala. What's going on here? Because I thought I thought it was done. Uh, and m- maybe it's close to not. Maybe the, I don't know what the, the situation is, but if if Inter are not careful, they're going to lose him to maybe AC Milan. So, what are your thoughts on on this huge delay? Well, a lot of it is because Paula Dybala, just like a bunch of footballers who didn't have to play like any remaining international fixtures, like Nations League or what have you. Um, He has been on holiday, so a lot of this is waiting to be finished when he returns back to Italy. So once he returns back, he's going to meet up with his agent, and then obviously there's going to be more of a formal meeting. So that way they can discuss, like, any – to push any final, like, offers and whatever across the board to get the deal done. Um, Regards to the AC Milan thing – it is a possibility, but like I said, he's been on holiday. Most of the stuff is stemming because he's been away for a while that he wants to be there in person for any like last formal meetings and stuff to finish off a deal. So I a lot of this stuff is a lot of rumors right now. So, I mean, but if AC Milan get him, oh, well, that's a tough one. I don't think it's so well. It's fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be like that. Because, but, uh, go ahead. But there are other things that are also being looked at. To, if it if it's more of a revenue issue, um, Milan PSG have been really going ham on the offers for Milan Strenyar. So if it's more of like trying to push players out to make room for Dybala, we're it's more so waiting until any final deals for that it come through so that way we do have the money so that way when we do assign him the money's already available so there's just a lot of like intricate details going on with this deal at the moment but for now until the ball is back in Italy a lot of this stuff has been on standstill yes but his he has an agent and his agent's phone is on so what I'm saying is AC Milan can still set up a meeting for when he returns. They could also bid for Inter. I mean, sorry, not he did. Sorry, he's a free agent. Fuck, I didn't mean. 
he can, so they can communicate that that he wants uh, that they would like to, a meeting with him. So just because he's going to take a meeting with Inter does not mean that other teams that want to meet with him are going to do that. Um, there's no transfer fee here, so the Milan the Milan Skriniar stuff I think is separate. But I what I what I find interesting about all this is. Lukaku was made a priority by the inter management, but but Dabala wasn't. They could have they could have progressed these talks further before he he went on um, went on holiday. Um, so I don't know. I think Inter need to jump on this as, as soon as he gets back because he's not the only they're not the only team that's interested. And because of the situation, because he's a free agent. Um, I, I do think there's a possibility that that that, that this could this that he could uh, supposedly be enter and then it be a similar second later. So uh, the, the agent can still communicate. The agent can still set up meetings. So I, I all I'm saying is they have to they have to proceed with caution in, in regards to Dybala, because if AC Milan get Dybala, I think they win the league again. Pro, they'll be. The, I, I wouldn't say that. They're definitely the favorites, even with Lukaku back and with Lotaro. If Dybala goes to AC Milan with Liao and Tonali and those boys, oof, we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna have some trouble. <laughs> um, I think if that were to happen, it'd be crazy, and I think it'd be great uh, title race. But I actually do think he's gonna go to Inter. But I think that they're. Uh, I think Inter are, have handled this a little too loosely and should have been more assertive and pr- prioritized that deal over the Lukaku deal um, because, you know, so on and so forth. Um, all right. Um, we're going to talk about Raheem Sterling and then talk about the Roma shit. Um, Raheem Sterling uh, apparently is, um, is linked with Chelsea. Um, obviously, the Chelsea options out wide are not great with Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic. Um, uh, obviously, losing Lukaku, which is they're probably happy about, but they did spend one hundred what ninety seven million only to lose him for for ten, which is terrible. One of the worst transfers I've ever seen. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on Raheem Sterling? We know Raheem Sterling has been a top player for a long time, uh, but that Man City squad is so deep and so sick that uh that it creates an avenue for him to go to chelsea and maybe maybe help chelsea into the thick of it with man city and and um liverpool next year i mean this would definitely be a great move for chelsea obviously man city are already stacked from top to bottom so they're really it would be just hard the more players you buy the more hard it is to utilize other players so him getting an, a way to be able to you know guarantee himself some start time with two, uh, the bo- Tuchel, um, Pulisic, and the like is definitely would be a great move for him because he is a really strong striker. He knows what to do in the midst of adversity, and I think just someone bringing somebody of his caliber to Chelsea, or even if he was able to go to Man United, would definitely provide that little something extra because of his winning mentality that he's gathered from Man City. So, I mean, in general, this would definitely be a great move for him and hopefully things work out. Yeah, I think it'd be a sick move. He's definitely not going to Man United, though. I, th- I think... Um, I was not that hypothetical. They... No, I know. <laughs> he probably, you know, I don't think uh, they... 
Uh, they could they could afford him. It's not that, but he remember he played for Liverpool. I don't think he's going to make that move, even though it was it was a little a bitter at the end of 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 that uh, adventure. Um, I think Raheem Sterling would be absolutely amazing. I think like three years ago he had thirty one goals. Um, this I think this season he had like fifteen for a player that that is not necessarily one of the, the mo- more key players for um, um, for Man City, at least this this last season. I think it would be a great way for Chelsea to upgrade. Obviously, it's they'll, they still need a center forward, probably. They still need some other things. But if you could put him out wide at Chelsea, I think he would absolutely, be, he would absolutely hit it out of the park. All right. Um, so uh, we're just going to end um, on, um, on this. Um, Roma have currently put in an off, uh, sorry, Roma have reached, uh, personal terms with, um, with, uh, Goncalo Gudis, um, from Valencia. Um, they're still negotiating over a price. Valencia would like 40 million. Um, we're putting in Carlos Perez in the deal. Plus, I think twenty-five million to try to lower the price, but uh, the player and Roma have agreed on a um, on personal terms, meaning it's just negotiation over the um, the price of the deal. Um, again, we talked about this last week. We talked about the Mourinho effect and the aggressiveness of of Roma going after top players. Um, a player like this would never probably wouldn't be in that wouldn't we would not have gone after him under the previous era um uh, and players like this obviously Roma are being aggressive and going going after what they wanted and trying to pull it off they're also interested in Marcel Sabitzer um they're expected to, to put an offer in on that deal um this week as well but but they've reached personal terms with an absolute baller who's been who was Valencia's top scorer last year for 15 goals um what are you from an outside perspective what are your thoughts on on this potentially this deal coming across and what it could do to this Roma team um, uh, into next season. What position and what was the name of the player again? Goncalo Guedes, and he is a attacking midfielder. Obviously, Roma have been looking for a lot of depth in that area, especially since we've heard how some of your players are not that they're decent but they're not of like star quality with the exception of like Pellegrini um but adding to the attacking midfield which has been one of your like weaker points in my opinion would definitely be a huge addition especially since he is very meticulous and knowing where to be to facilitate or orchestrate the chances and whatever the chance arises that he needs to like step up to the plate and find the back of the net, he is more than capable. So, I mean, getting a player of this quality who has had success at his current club and stuff, it, it'll be a definitely a great addition to the Roman team, especially since you're trying to push for the champions league next season. Yeah. Um, by the way, by, talking about that, Roma just offered three or negotiating three different players to Marseille. <laughs> I think Jordan is one of them. I remember Justin Clivert. Oh so, yeah, Clivert. Good old Clivert. Yeah. So we still we st- we still under contract with Roma because 
Nice did not activate his buy option, but we're still trying to get him um, to Marseille. You know, you, <laughs> you know who you else plays? You go to Marseille. You go to Marseille. You go to Marseille. We didn't know, so many players to Marseille. You know, you know who, who Marseille have right now? Who? Do you remember Paul Lopez? Oh my God! From last year. Do Do you remember Jengis Under? Yeah. Also at Marseille. Do you remember? This is way back. This is the the Champions League team. Do you remember Gerson, the Brazilian midfielder we used to have? Unfortunately, I do not remember him, but I've heard of the name. Also I think. at Marseille. Oh Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And I, I I don't know for sure because I know I know Kevin Strootman was in Italy uh, last year on loan, but he is also contracted by Marseille. So we do a lot of fucking, we do a lot of deals, selling um, deals to Marseille. We don't buy a lot of players from Marseille. Um, I, I can't remember. I, we have, but anyway, basically there's a good relationship between Roma and Marseille. And, and, and I think they're, they'll still strike a deal on some of these, maybe not all, but uh, Roma are uh, trying to get rid of some pieces. while also um, um, trying to get, um, uh, some some stuff. Obviously, there's that deal. There's the deal of the Turkish uh, right back um, that might be confirmed next week. It's still in the final stages. Then we have some some other stuff. We have Felix Afina potentially going on loan to Lecce. Uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked around. But um, but this is again this is another sign of 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 aggressiveness um, from the Roma side um, and so on. So uh, I, I, I think that's it. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.